So we are, uh, we are in one week into this uh, little series here, which will be about seven weeks, I guess. My big fear tonight is either I'm going to make something um, way too complex that's real simple um, with where we're going, or I'm going to lose, fail to make the connection why this is so important, what we're doing tonight. But we're going to, I'll get up to that in a minute. Um, last week, just recall that we talked about the importance of God's word and laid out a little bit of the foundation for how we're going to walk through this. Um, in terms of God's word and God's words given for us, and because they're God's words, they're authoritative. Um, and so we kind of ended the service remembering that each week um, on any kind of thing that we're doing, and actually each day that we move into in any day, it always should be, Lord, teach me what you have for me. And also help me to be, not just hear it, but help me to take it in. Help me to let it sink in and, and do in me whatever it is that you want to do, which ought to be our prayer every day. Um, but particularly as we, we step into new things, we just want to be always asking that question, Lord, teach me, and then as I hear it, let it sink in in such a way that I will embrace it and let you accomplish what you want to do in the midst of me in that. So that was last week. Um, this week, you might be wondering, um, for the rest of the series, where are we going? And we actually have divided it up into uh, three sections. Um, the first part is called God's Beautiful Design. And uh, I think we've got that up there. Reading, go to the next slide. Um, God's beautiful design, which is um, this week and next week, and I think a third week, um, because it's the heart of what we're going to be doing. And you're going to kind of be laying out what was God's original plan. And our time will be um, in Genesis 1 and 2 this morning. Tonight, um, lots of introduction and a little bit of Genesis. Next week, we'll all just be in Genesis and a week after as well. So we're going to lay out... What was God's original intention for us, particularly as it has to do with our sexuality, and uh, really paint a picture, and I'm going to talk about why we're going to spend so much time there um, tonight. Second of all, after that, we will move into God's design um, that's been damaged, so we'll look at the entrance of sin and what that did, um, and how that affected our understanding of our sexuality, how it affected our understanding of God, and what that does with our relationships with each other, and so that's where we'll be kind of looking at some more specific issues that we would normally associate with talking about this um, whole area. What, how does is, how is the damage show up in our lives um, or the lives of other people? And so we will be talking through um, a number of different issues as well as the, the issue of homosexuality, which was the original intent back in November. It'll fall into that area. So we'll spend some time talking about what did sin do to us. And then thirdly, we're going to look at um, God's um, design redeemed that we're not left in that place, but that God did not just redeem our souls for heaven, but he redeems our lives for living as well. And so in this whole area of sexuality, God desires to redeem us, uh, which means to bring about change so we live a different kind of life and from a different kind of place. And to me, that's, that's almost the bigger part. We've got to look at where the damage is done, but we've got to understand that God wants to redeem us. And what does that look like, and how do we get there in, in purpose of that. And also, in, in the whole part of God redeeming us in our sexuality, we will talk about how are we supposed to be agents of redemption in other people's lives in this area? How do we step into the lives of other people who are experiencing hurt and ruin in that area and make a difference? How is the church supposed to do that? Um, so let me pray for this particularly, and then we're going to jump right into um, this uh, foundational things for tonight. Um, Lord, I would just ask that you would make tonight very clear that the importance of your design 
and what's behind that, um, we could get a hold of that well. Um, I pray that we could cast our gaze upon you um, and what you think of us and understand what, um, what you meant from the beginning for us that we have missed out so often on. So uh, bring that to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's two, uh, I was thinking there's two approaches to dealing with the whole area of sexuality. Um, and one is we can focus on the sin, so, um, which is oftentimes what we'll do. So we will talk about all the things that are wrong. Um, so we'll, have a, um, we'll do a, a sermon on um, pornography, for instance, which churches will do, and we'll just talk about that, which is a huge issue. Um, but we will focus just on the sin and um, how it's all so wrong. And usually in that, um, we will proceed to say we need to make a change, right? We, we, we talk about the sin, and then the response to it is we've got to kind of cut it out. We've got to change. Things have to be different. And that's oftentimes where that kind of approach will go to. Um, that usually results in some frustration. Um, we, we can feel um, condemned. Um, it becomes, it, it oftentimes doesn't have to be, but it oftentimes ends up landing on, it's about me having to make a change. Um, the other approach to talking about this area of sexuality is to focus on the one who designed it in the first place, um, which is what we're going to do, focusing on the designer. The one who created it, we give our attention to him. And when we get focused on God and what he did and what his plan was and what it looks like, we begin to get shaped by that. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't deal with the sin issues because they're all there. But we come to the designer first and we bring, bring him up and look at him first and foremost and um, in some ways be let that just wash over us who he is and what he's done and what he designed us for. And when that captures our heart and attention, then the, the change happens because we're submitted to him. And the Holy Spirit begins to bring about change and brings transformation by his power and work in us. And so that's the, um, that's the approach that we're going to take as, uh, as we move through um, this whole series. Um, we're going to take the second approach because I think it opens the door wide for life and for change and for his way of redeeming us. Um, I think uh, the first approach often just puts too much attention on um, just gritting it out, trying to think clear, trying to think right, and trying to live right. Um, and some of us are really good at doing that. Some of us are really bad at doing that. Ultimately, we all fail at that. Uh, focusing on the designer puts us into a different mindset, and it puts us in a different place to receive the changing work that he wants to accomplish in us. Um, like I said, we're gonna, we will look at the issues of disorder um, when we start talking about promiscuity or homosexuality or pornography and those kinds of things, but we're going to do it rather in light of the designer and in the shadow of God's perfect plan and what he designed for us to do and what he's all about in our life. Underneath that heading, then we can begin to look at the things that are in disorder. So the key word um, for tonight, or the key phrase, is identity determines meaning and purpose. Identity determines meaning and purpose in life. And we're just going to leave that up there for a while as I walk through um, what that's all about and why this is so important to what we're doing. By the way, it's an identity that we embrace that determines meaning and purpose in life. So if God tells me what my identity is, but I reject it, then it's, that's not going to help. But whatever I, I believe about myself and who I am in God, 
makes a determination of how my life gets lived and my place of finding meaning and purpose in it. And so we want to focus on that aspect because when it's in disorder or when we believe lies about our things are untrue about ourselves and our identity, that's how life gets lived. When we have truth that embraces our heart about who we are, that's how life gets lived. And there's this shift that has to happen in order to move forward. Identity lies at the very core of our sexuality, who I am. Um, confusion about identity um, leads to life and actually living out our sexuality um, out of a line with God's design, and it brings all the burdens and problems with it. It brings discouragement, loneliness, depression, sometimes hopelessness, lack of fullness, unmet longings. Um, we can feel disconnected. We can feel unacceptable until we begin to have our identity realigned to what God says. And almost all of us can attest to that. When we've um, not understood who we are in Christ and our identity, we talk about this in the book of Ephesians, um, the result of that is discouragement. And we, we, we try to resolve it somehow, but it's, it's a struggle. When we, when we get our identity from Christ and we really understand it and it actually takes root in our hearts, then the transformation begins to happen and we experience the things that God had for us. So we're going to find that as we go through, especially the next few weeks, we're going to be bouncing into Ephesians 1 and 2 again, like we did before, about who we are and how God made us and what he designed us for. So to see a clear picture about our sexuality, which is what the whole series is supposed to be about, um, we have to have a clear picture of our identity. If we fail to do that, then the rest of the series will... it's not going to make a difference. Um, We're just going to continue to struggle and have questions about it. We have to answer the questions of who am I? Why was I created? What is my place in the world? Do I have value just for being, or is it based upon what I do? Where is life found here and and now and in this place, not just someday in heaven? Um, And then in this issue of sexuality, what does it mean to be a woman and what does it mean to be a man? What did God design and intend? Those questions are all wrapped around the issue of who am I, identity. And they are foundational for us to have a healthy understanding of our sexuality. And failure to answer those questions will mean we will struggle in this area of sexuality. It'll be in disorder, and it'll show up in our lives in disordered ways. So the answers, as I said, go back to the very first chapters of Ephesians, and we'll, we'll be, find ourselves going there again and again and again. The truth is, in scriptures, we're told that we, as believers, are transferred, remember, from the line of Adam, and we are put onto the line of Christ. And so we become his children. The scriptures tell us that over and over again. Um, and yet, and that is where our identity is supposed to be found. But the fact is, um, we um, have bought into a whole bunch of other things that tell us who we are. So whether we came to Christ really early on and some other factors have just factored into our life over and over again, or maybe we came to Christ much later and we've already, this, this sense of an identity came from other places other than Christ. Um, we, we're defined by other people. We get defined by the world. Um, And we buy into those messages and those statements about who we are. And all the answers to those questions I listed before get answered by other people. And they get answered by the world, but they don't get answered the way God would answer them. And we buy into those things. And they show up in our life with hurts 
and they show up in our life with pain and emptiness and disorder. And that disorder may be really obvious for everybody to see, or it may be very subtle, nobody sees it at all, but we know inside it's shaking, shaking us up. In addition to that, we were created by God with certain longings of our heart, which are going to show up as we move through Genesis 1 and 2. Things that God created us to long for, good things, right things. But when sin enters, we, the longings still remain, but we don't know where they're coming from, and we don't know how to meet them, so we meet them in other ways. Um, we get misguided in how to meet those longings, and we try to meet them in ways that end up just bringing burdens onto our life, and ultimately, distortions in our sexuality and how we live that out in our life. The good news is that we've been redeemed, um, and as I said, Jesus did not just come to redeem our souls for heaven, but he came to redeem our life, um, to experience the fullness of what he designed and created us for in the beginning is meant for us to experience here and now. And I just want to, um, my thesis, I guess, is that that it gets accomplished in us when we begin to get those questions answered about our identity. We, we spend enough time in there and look at Genesis, and we're going to see what does it say about us? What was God's design? Looking at the creator and looking at design will begin to bring transformation in us. So we're going to let the word of God paint, um, paint for us a picture, as it were, of, of what God originally designed for us um, to, uh, as Cameron would word it, to sing a song about what his original design for us was and to listen to that song. Um, like I said, we could either just, I could jump right into here's the things that are wrong and let's start talking about them. Let's see what God's word is to say and let's make a change. Or we can sit there and go, God, paint for us a picture of what you first meant what you first designed us for, what we are in Christ still designed for and meant for. Sing a song of that and let us just listen to that so that we begin to let it permeate into our minds and hearts because our hearts are changed, but my mind still thinks all those old ways and it buys into all those old lies and all those things that I believe about myself that simply aren't true. And God needs to paint a new picture. Those things show up um, in these first chapters of Genesis, which is why we're going to spend several weeks there. Um, we want to hear this song about the truest thing about us, a song that is meant to so capture our hearts and minds and longings that we are unable, that would be my prayer for this, to go back to the lies that we have believed about ourselves that don't come from God, the things that we've accepted that are not compatible with Scripture. Our desire is, I don't even care if we even figure out the sin issues over the course of the series, if we can get our so captured by the truth of what he says that I'm unable to ever, I just can't ever forget that. That will begin to do its work in us. And guess what? The the areas of struggle in our life and our confusion and the things that show up, even our sexuality that are in disorder, will begin to change. And we'll begin to conform to his image as he works in us and begins to change our mind as well. There's uh, two uh, two pictures of the struggle with identity and sexuality and sin um, in Greek literature. Some of you read this. The the first one here is... um, by the way, both of them have to do with sirens. Um, I think those are sirens like the birds over there. Those are supposed to be sirens, I think. Um, there's descriptions of sirens. They're supposed to be like um, beautiful women that looked like a bird, but it looked like a woman as well. And they had um, their, their voice and their, their song was so captivating that men could not, um, couldn't ignore it. And it was kind of a, they were kind of a picture of um, ships going shipwreck. 
So the, the drawing of sirens in Greek literature, the sirens would sing, you know, and the sailors would listen, and they couldn't turn away, and they would sail towards it, and they would crash on the rocks is, is the picture. So there's several. Um, they show up in several places. This particular one is with um, um, Odysseus, who's also called um, Ulysses, right? Same guy. And he's traveling back, and um, they're going to go by the sirens, and they know. Have anybody seen Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Okay, it's one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Um, and the, uh, there's the three men are going along, and they hear these, these, this singing, and they, they go through the woods to see it, and there's these, these um, beautiful women that are singing the song, and the look on their face is perfect because their eyes go big, and their mouths drop, and they're entranced. They cannot think straight about anything, and they just are carried into it and end up, one of the guys, I think, turned into a frog or something. It's kind of, a, kind of interesting. But this idea that these sirens... Um, capture their minds, and they're unable to turn away, and it causes shipwreck. Interesting that um, Paul talks about those who don't align their lives to the truth. What happens to their lives? It says they, they suffer shipwreck in their life. And so um, in this, in the, uh, with the Ulysses, they, they, uh, when they're going to sail by the sirens, what he decided to do was he said, you guys tie me up to the mast so that I won't get carried to them. And you guys are all going to have blocked your ears. They put things over the ears so the men could not hear. They could just row, okay? But Ulysses didn't block his ears off. Um, interesting, he wanted to not go to them, but he wanted to hear what they had to say. There's a part of it that just wanted to hear the song. Have you guys, didn't that, didn't that temptations like? We, we don't want to go that way, but we're kind of, uh, it's still good to hear it a little bit. So that's what they do, and they, they row past. I, I love that top picture. He's leaning towards it, but he's tied up. And he even told him, if, if I struggle out of this, tie me tighter. Don't let me go. And they sail past. But it's a picture of, um, to me, it's a picture of trying to make life work um, just by, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to think right and do right and live right. And, you know, I'm just going to do it. And so we, we fight it through. And it's a struggle and uh, in the Christian life, it primarily ends with defeat. We feel defeated and discouraged because we still like listen. We still just go listen to those. That song still permeates everything. That song that tells us lies, that grabs our attention, that tells us things that are not true about us. It grabs our attention and it fills us up, and we don't hear anything else. So that's the uh, that's one picture of that thing. The other picture is uh, we got Jason. There was an old movie called Jason the Argonauts. Have you ever seen that? Had this all is kind of cool. Actually, it's pretty pretty amazing stuff back in those times. You can go to the next one, um, read um, the story of Jason, who also had to sail past the sirens. Um, and uh, on his ship, there was a guy who played the harp and could sing. His name was Odysseus. I think it's the name of it. Is that it? Orpheus was his name. And there's a picture there. Actually, that picture is taken out of some catacombs. And this picture down here of him, it was said that he could sing in Greek literature so beautifully and play the harp so well that he could tame wild beasts. They would just settle down. Um, One of the the myths about him is that um, his wife died, and he played so beautifully and sang so great that he enchanted the, um, the guardians of Hades, and he was able to break into hell itself in order to to get his wife back. It ends up not working out in his favor, but that's, that's what he did. And so this, um, this, 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 that he could actually, the beauty of his song allowed him to break into hell itself. In the story with Jason, what they do is they're going to go by the sirens, 
and all the men are being drawn, and they're hearing it, and Jason's hearing it, and um, Orpheus begins to play his song, and he begins to sing. And the song is so beautiful that all of their minds are captured by the beauty of um, Orpheus' song. And because it's so beautiful and because it paints such a picture and captures their hearts, the song of the sirens just fades away and has no power over them. And they sail past. And they sail past not struggling it out, but they sail past with delight because they're captured by this gorgeous song that takes them through um, to their side. Um, what we want to do in this series, and particularly these first few weeks, is we want to let God paint a picture or, in a sense, sing a song of the beauty of what he designed for us um, that would drown out all the other things that would distract us and pull us aside. Um, we, we just don't spend enough time with it. We don't spend enough time just looking at our creator, who he is, what he says about us, how he designed for us to be, and letting that truth permeate to such a degree that the other struggles that we have begin to fade away because we've been changed inside. Um, but my mind still needs transformation that he wants to do in the midst of us. Interesting that um, in the, the catacombs in Rome, um, there are pictures of Orpheus because the Christians grabbed a hold of his, this picture of him as a type of Christ because he was able to break through hell, right, and uh, declare victory. And the idea of him, this, and this idea of Christ comes and he brings a song to us, the song of redemption and life and change that is designed to free us up. So it's interesting that they would grab onto him as one of their um, kind of a, capturing a picture of a, a metaphor of what Jesus was about. And so Jesus gets picked, depicted as the same man. Our creator sings a beautiful song of his love, of our belonging, of who we are, of the beauty of our sexuality, the drawing out of God-given longings, and he sings a song of his promise to fulfill them and to meet them in our life. Um, and so what we want to do is we want to play that song. Um, we want to see the beauty and the truth of God's song, and I believe that that is the key for us to have a restored and a redeemed sexuality, and that permeates to all of our life because we are sexual beings, and our sexuality influences everything. And if we let God get a hold of that, and show us his picture, it begins to bring transformation um, for our lives. So we're going to look at that song over these next couple weeks. We want to see how we were created, and that is the very first step towards understanding this whole area of sexuality. It's all tied up in our identity, and we've got to listen to what God has to say about it. So let me just, uh, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 1 and 2 here. Um, We're only going to spend... um, about 10 minutes in it tonight, um, and then we're really going to spend a lot of time um, expanding this next week and the week after. And next week will be primarily about being created in his image as male and female. And the following week, we're going to look at this issue of oneness and how God had designed of this, this picture of what oneness is about. is tied with our sexuality, whether we're single or married. It's a huge issue for us. So Genesis 1 and 2, what's the first, the first words are, in the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God. That makes a difference. Um, What we discover is God entered into his time and space that he had created, and he enters into it in order to create us. And we'd see the the rest of the story. God created him, 
creates Adam and he creates Eve and brings them together. But in the beginning, we are not a result of nature moving forward. We are a result of God's creative act. So um, however your, um, your ideas about creation are, I think we're a little varied here. If I would go around, we'd probably have a, um, some different ideas here. However you might look at it, God created everything. And in whatever means he did, but in a certain point in time, then he created us. He created Adam. He created Eve. We were not the uh, continuing results of his other creation. It just kind of played out their way. So we're just part of that whole creator. God's, God created specifically Adam and Eve. Um, the result is means I'm different than the rest of the created order, that we were something different than everything else that had been created before. Um, he breathes into him, as we see, and Adam becomes this living soul. He's not just a physical creature, uh, but now he has a soul as well. Still physical, but there's something else to him that's been different than all the rest of creation. We're not the result of nature. We are planned, designed. It was intentional in the heart of God. Um, and so when we begin to look at who we are, we have to see it through the grid of God's intentional, creative work to make us. Um, if I'm just a result of nature playing itself out, then I'm primarily just a physical being with nothing more. And my connection with the animal kingdom is so closely aligned that my sexuality has to be understood within that, that, um, that sphere. But God steps in the middle of that, and he does a different creative work. He creates something very different, which is us, um, as he creates Adam and Eve. Failure to see this means that I am just an extension of the animal kingdom and my sexuality is purely physical. And there's not really any identity to discover other than we're just more of the created order of animals. Um, I don't think my dog, as much as I love him, um, and I won't say anything about his future because I made a mistake about that before, but um, I do know he doesn't have a sense of identity. Um, he does not have a sense of who I am I, there's not that, that soul there that, that does that. Um, um, he'll do things because I want him to do it, and he likes me and all those kinds of things. But this, he doesn't ask questions about, like, who am I? And what is my purpose? He knows his purpose. He eats and sleeps and, and, and messes up the yard. That's all he does He's, and makes me happy. So, um, but he doesn't, he doesn't think about those things. What's my purpose? Where did I come from? Um, those thoughts aren't there. Um, if we're just an extension of nature, then we don't have those thoughts either. Um, but we do have those thoughts, don't we? We do wonder those questions. And it's because in the beginning, God created. God stepped in, and the creation of people was a very, very different thing that he did, and it's important for us to understand that. God's creation is an overflow of the creator. We are his art um, in that place. So in the beginning, um, God created, and he creates all these things, but then he steps in the middle, and he does a new creative act. And we must understand that we're something different. We're something different in the heart and mind of God. We have to discover what that is. Second of all, God says, let us make man. And we discover he makes man and woman in the image of God. Let us make them. What does that tell me? Um, I have an origin. And I can identify what my origin is. My origin is God himself. Um, and that makes a difference. We often think about, well, what's my family of origin? So my identity very much has been wrapped up in my life as to the family I was born into, um, who my dad was, who my mom was, um, our family history. And not that those things um, don't have value, 
but my identity was primarily wrapped up in my understanding of where I fit in my family, who my family was, and what I got from my family. That becomes my source of identity. Um, there were some good things about that, and there was a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't in order, and there's lots of things that weren't untrue about that. The scriptures tell us that God says, let us make man. He makes us. And because of that creative act, because he is the one, the source of us, God himself is actually our family. Is that me? Okay. Um, the, my origin, my family of origin is not the Dahans. My real family of origin is God himself. Um, the, the great tragedy is God designed that for everybody, and then it gets lost from sin, and we get separated. And the wonder of, of the Gospels, we're brought back into this family of origin and made his children again. And that is my family of origin, and I'm restored back to that. And my family of origin determines and tells me who I am and what I'm like and how I think and where I came from and what my purpose is and um, how I've been shaped, all those things get ordered not by the family I was born to, but from my creator himself. So it says, in the beginning, God created, steps in, and we are something very, very different from the rest of creation. But then it says, let us make man. It's God's overflow of himself. It's his creative work. He, in a sense, gives birth to us. And so that identifies who our family is, and that makes a huge difference. Um, we usually define ourselves, as I said, by our family of origin. Um, sometimes we define ourselves by our experiences. We can define ourselves by our job. How many have done that? Somebody else has done that besides me. Okay, we all do that. Um, we can define it by what other people have said about us. We can identify it by, um, by the encouragement I've gotten or the, um, the criticism I've received in my life defines me. The great news is that when God makes Adam and Eve... Um, that is the one. He is the one who becomes their family of origin. He is the one who defines them and answers those questions. And the work for us is to get back to those answers and discover what those were, what he said in the very, very beginning. He made me. He's my origin, my true family, my one and only source of seeing who I am and what he thinks about me. And that's true for all of us. So in the beginning, God created. And then he said, let us make a man and woman, which is our family of origin. And third of all, he says, let us make them in what? In our image. Um, and we're, this, we'll spend most of our time next week on this as we talk about what it means to be created in the image as both male and female and what, what is all that about. Um, but he says, he says it three times. In our image, let us make them male and female. He created them in his image. He says it like three times. Um, in the likeness of God. We're not God but we are made in his likeness. And there's all diff different ways that we are in his likeness. Um, but he says it three times um, about this. For now, I just want to say that the issue of image and understanding what the image of God is in us will answer the questions about us. It will answer the question, what is true about me? If we understand what it means to be made in the image of God, it will answer the question, what is true about me? Which all has to do with value. It has to do with value, who I am. Do I have worth? Second of all, it's going to answer the question of whose do I belong to or whose am I um, in, in a world that kind of encourages independence. The truth is we all desire to belong and answer the question, to whom do I belong? Um, and we're going to discover that we belong to God himself. Um, it gives us security and belongingness. And it answers the question of why. 
Um, what is life supposed to be about? And what does it look like? And we understand the image of God, it'll answer that question for us. It tells us what our purpose is. It's going to tell us about relationship. Uh, interesting that God being the Trinity, um, all about relationship, creates people in his image that are all about relationship. And so we're going to see that as we walk through this as well. And it tells us about our God-giving longings. In these first chapters, we'll discover things that God designed in us to long for from the very beginning. And it comes out of understanding what it's like to say that we're created in the image of God. So the issue of image is going to answer, what is true about me? Whose am I? And why am I here? What is the purpose about? What is it about relationships? Um, What are my longings? When we don't have the answer to the questions, or when we have believed in the wrong answers, which we have all done to varying degrees, um, we experience hurt and burdens, um, despair. Um, it's where addictions can come from, all these different things. Or just um, a life that's lived out of alignment from what he originally designed for us. And even when life seems going well and we're making it happen, we know it's not in a line. There's something that's missing down deep. When we see the truth and we begin to understand what it really means to be made in his image and what it speaks to about what is true and whose I am and why I'm here, um, it brings life and hope and peace for us. So at the heart, um, hopefully I haven't said it, over said it, um, throughout the entire series, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be repainting the picture of what God says about us over and over and over again. Um, and it will change the way we look at sin. It's still not going to look so good. We're going to see it and we have to deal with it, but it's going to change how we perceive it and what we do with it. And it's, it's supposed to transform our hearts and minds. So I want you to just um, maybe close your eyes for a second. Imagine, um, and this is true of Adam and Eve. It's, it wasn't true about us because we were born in sin, but imagine that you knew nothing except for God himself and what he thought of you. That, that you, you knew nothing else of these other voices and sounds and things in our life that speak to us, but all you ever knew was God's extending, compassionate, overflowing, unending, unconditional love. You knew nothing else but that your whole life. Um, that you knew none of the other voices that told you something different. Um, that you knew it unhindered in your heart that all the truth about yourself was only spoken by him, and that's all you've ever known. That all your longings were met in him. What, what would you experience if that's all you ever knew? Great truth is we, um, I think, would know direction for life. We would know what delight is. We would know what freedom is. Um, there would be a sense of absolute truth that runs through our heart that we would be able to identify. We'd have peace. Imagine also that you've heard that truth, um, but it got lost. It got lost in those louder voices that told us different things. Um, Convincing voices that have shamed us, told us that we didn't measure up, took away our worth as a man or a woman, um, caused us to place our hope in something else for peace and life. 
our questions of who we are and why we're here and what we're all about um, got answered somewhere else other than God himself, which, by the way, is also true of all of us, every single one of us. And when we look at that, what do we experience? We experience frustration and a wandering, um, a sense of something's not right, um, and then lots of other things that can even be worse and harder and more difficult. And there's a lostness there. God desires to bring us um, fully square on the truth of what he says. Um, and it's interesting that he op- the Bible opens up the first chapters. It's the very first thing he does. He wants us to understand who we are and what he thinks. And we want to be gripped by that picture as we paint it. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to have a, Reed's going to put a video up. Um, it's actually a, a promo for the Gospel Rescue Mission um, in the Chicago area. And it's a, a person, a gal, talking about addiction. Um, as, as we listen to it, um, listen for the common questions that we all have. Um, we may not have an addiction, but the, the, the questions are the same. Listen for questions of longing, um, questions of desire to know who she is, why she was created, um, the places where worth was taken from her. Um, listen for those cues because they're, they're things that speak to our identity, an identity that's been damaged and the results of that, and then that there's redemption in that as well. So just listen to it and um, look for those things. From the outside, I looked like a girl that had everything. But inside, um, I lived with so much fear and mistrust. And in my early 40s, I started to struggle with severe sleeplessness, anxiety, and depression. And so I sought the help of prescription drugs. It wasn't long before that became an addiction that began to overtake my life. And then I began drinking. I started to isolate from families and friends. I started to lose the things that I held dear, Uh, my marriage, my family, my career, my home, and I found myself in a desperate place. I wanted out. I wanted to find healing, and I scrambled for every program I could find. I needed a long-term Christ-centered program. It took being on a hospital bed after an overdose for me finally to come to that desperate place and say, Lord, I want to know who I am. I want to know who you say I am. And I found that at the Rockford Rescue Mission. I discovered there that it doesn't matter what walk of life you're from, um, what your parents did for a living, whether you had parents at all, At the core, we all have the same need, and that is the need for a savior. I've seen a change in the lives of my children and seeing their mother find healing. It extends to generations, to their daughters and their daughters. What began in my heart and giving my life to Christ and finding finding healing and wholeness and embracing the truths of who God is and my worth as a woman will extend to generations to come. My son would often call at night and pray with me. And he said to me one night, Mom, 
I think God allowed you to lose everything you had so you'd find out that He is all you need. And I have found that to be true. For me, I've found such great freedom in not having to pretend to be something I'm not anyway, or who I think the world wants me to be. Uh, that is a false belief that I held on to until it made me sick. My secrets made me sick. It was a cancer of my heart. I am so thankful to each and every person who gives their time and resources to the Rockford Rescue Mission. I am a life that has changed. My children's lives are changed. Uh, we won't know until we meet Jesus face to face the scope of your gifts to the Rockford Rescue Mission and what God can do with whatever we have, whether it's a large gift, whether it's your time, whatever your resources. It'll be exciting when we get to heaven and see just what God has done with each sacrifice that is made. And I just want to thank the Rockford Rescue Mission for opening their doors to me um, and giving me an opportunity to save my life, to change my life, and I'm excited about what God has for my life. I know I will spend each day that God has given me left in this life to praise his name. So that's my, that's my sister. Um, and the reason it caught me, I just, I just saw it this week. The reason the, um, it, and we, it's been a long time, um, and she's known the Lord since she was little like me. Um, the reason it caught me when she says, I just want to know who I am, and I want to know what God thinks of me, um, and I have some value. Underneath this area of sexuality, that's what's underneath it all. And uh, God has an answer to that. Um, God has an answer that completely transforms everything that we are about, and it shows up in our lives. And when we fail to get at the heart of that answer, um, whether we're unbeliever or whether we're believers, we will miss and struggle and strive in other ways to try to make an answer. Um, and it can either be a real mess. My, this, it was just, my sister just went through a terrible, it was just a terrible mess. Or it can be like me, and I can make things look really good on the outside, but I answer those questions in a different way that just shows up in a life that looks a little different. But still, there's the same things underneath there that I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I was made. What does God think of me? And in this, this series, God wants to paint for us and sing for us a song of truth. Because the truth is transforming when we get it. And the world has, has, um, has told us a whole bunch of stuff that's simply not true. And we hang on to it. Um, God wants to pull us from that place. So as we are uh, um, following through this tonight, I want you to ask a couple questions. Maybe, maybe laying in bed tonight. And the qu question is, who defines who you are? Um, I mean, God does, okay? We all say yes. But in reality, who do you let define who you are? Um, my kids, when each they turn 14, I take them out for a special weekend, and one of the things I say is, you've got to decide who's going to define your life, because either you're going to be God or somebody else is going to do it for you, and the other voices are not going to be right. Um, so ask yourself, who is defining my life? What am I listening to? I mean, be honest with that. It's a safe place to go. 
Second, in what ways is my life being shaped by the things I've heard that are not true? Even if you're not even sure what those, maybe I didn't even see what those lies are yet. In what ways am I being shaped? Particularly in our area of sexuality, how is it showing up in my life? And how is that coming out of these lies that I've listened to? And then lastly, um, where do you find worth? Again, we all say, I find it in Jesus. But we don't. Um, we, we, we think we need to. We know we need to. We want to get there. But the fact is, we get fueled by our worth from a lot of other places. And it comes up short. Um, or it comes up enough that it makes us think it's okay for a while. But answer the question, where do you really find worth? Where does it start to fall into your life? And bring those before God, because he wants it to come from him alone. And it is absolutely transformative when he does that. Alan, uh, you guys could come up, and uh, we're going to spend our time with some worship. Um, One of the great things about being together every week and singing and gathering around this table um, is because all the other voices that tell me other things just pour on us all the time. Um, They come in unasked for, and they come in by our invitation as well. Um, And they come up from within oftentimes. And being able just to praise the creator um, in and of itself begins to shape and grab a hold of our mind and our heart. And so that's all we're going to do. We're just going to sing. Um, I don't know. Can you have a song that's a connection with identity? I don't know if we can or not. But we can sing about the wonder of our creator and what he's done in us. And we can put words um, to our voices and just sing it out. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, at, remember to ask those questions of yourself tonight at some point. Um, let me just tell you, it is safe to bring those answers before God because he wants, he wants to walk us through those things. And, uh, but we're going to sing. So, Lord, I would ask that you would, um, you would be lifted up. Um, even though we don't always believe it and it has not infiltrated our lives all the time, uh, we would declare that you are our creator and we want to place our minds and our hearts and our trust and our passions and everything on you. So even though we sing for you, I, I thank you that in the midst of that you somehow grab a hold of our hearts and you draw us to yourself. May you accomplish that in our midst and may you be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.